0: Hey, good morning as well. It's a joy to gather together here to look into God's word as a family of God and as the family of God, just a couple of family items I want to start with. One is Bob Johnson is here and Bob is someone that has had a huge influence in my life. He was our executive pastor here at Calvary for several years. When he when I was 22, he looked at me and said, "Young man, I want to invest in you, and uh, I want to hire you here at Calvary Church. And Bob, you're sitting over here. Thank you for your investment in me and the investment of Calvary Church. I was 22. I'm 23 today, so that was just a year (laughs) ago. Turned 39 this week, so Yes. I have no sympathy here, do I? (laughs) Today we're talking about the glorious topic of money. Uh, There's over 2,000 different scriptures that reference money and being a generous Christian, being a generous follower of Jesus Christ. So with 2,000 verses, both in the Old and New Testament, this is a topic that's worth covering. But I also have to acknowledge that there is baggage when it comes to talking about money in church. And so let me just give us a few disclaimers. Disclaimer number one of what will happen this morning as we talk about money is that we are not going to ask you to give emotionally at the end of my 25 minutes of talking, okay? So we're not going to ask you to go, okay, and by the way, here's what you have to do right now. So we're not going to pressure you in any way. We will take an offering as part of our act of worship later in our service, uh, but our prayers that there's no pressure to do something now uh, as we talk about this. Disclaimer number two is that I acknowledge that there are people in this room who have been hurt by the church because they've felt, and it's not just even Calvary, but just church in general, they've felt that church leaders really want them more for their money than anything else. And I just want to say I'm sorry if you've experienced that over the years. I was at a coffee shop in uh, Old Town Orange a couple years ago, and I was reading my Bible, and a guy came up to me and said, hey, what are you reading? Which is always a great thing when you're out in public and someone wants to engage you in things of God. And so I said, oh, this is what I'm reading. And he goes, oh, he goes, I go to this church down the street, and they're just driving me crazy. All they want is my money. It's money this, money that, money this. He goes, what do you do for a living? <laughs> like, uh, I was like, I'm, I'm a pastor at, uh, at Saddleback. So... Um, Uh, and I just looked at him and I said I'm sorry I'm sorry on behalf of someone who represents the church I'm sorry that that's come across our prayer as a leadership here at Calvary Church is that you don't feel like a number and you don't feel like someone where we just want something from you Instead, our prayer is that leaders, what we communicate to you is when it comes to money, we want something for you. We want you to be blessed by God. We want you to grow in your faith. We want you to see God do amazing things through your generosity. And so that's disclaimer number two. Disclaimer number three is this, is that next week, Dave will be back. I'm just keeping the seat warm. But uh, next week, we're going to unveil a vision for what we believe God has next here at Calvary Church, part of this vision will include a call towards creating more space for students, college, high school, junior high students, and that will involve a commitment of money. And so I don't want you to think as we talk about generosity here today, and you go, oh, that was nice, there was no ask, and then next week you're like, wait a minute. (laughs) Um, So today, uh, these are my disclaimers, take a deep breath, and let's just see what God will do. Let's pray. Father, be in the sending of this message and be in the receiving of this message. Be in both. Allow me to walk in humility as I communicate. But also, God, give me courage to speak your truth, your word with boldness. God, we are here. Teach us. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John it's the third gospel, Luke also wrote the book of Acts Luke 12 is where we'll start, we're going to hit Luke 12, then we're going to go over to 18 for a minute and then 19, but start in Luke 12 put your thumb there or your bookmark and then look up here for a minute at the screen as you see what is a recognizable symbol for all of us one dollar bill the average dollar bill is in circulation for 5.9 years. It's in our wallet for about five and a half minutes. <laughs> the one dollar bill costs four cents to produce. Oh, its value is a dollar, but it costs about four cents to make. Listen to this. 94% of one dollar bills, when tested, contain bacteria. Is that hard to believe? The one dollar bill actually isn't made of paper. It's made of cotton and linen. I don't know if I ever thought about that before. In 1955, the words on the back of this bill were for the first time inscribed in God we trust. Actually, it was put into law that every currency in America, starting in 1957, would begin to have those words in God we trust. On July 1st, 2014, just a month ago, here in Orange County, the minimum wage moved to nine of these an hour. Which, if you're a minimum wage worker, that's a great thing. If you're a business owner, it's a little rough. In 2016, it's going to go up to $10 an hour. Here in Orange County, you need 25 of these an hour in order to afford a one bedroom apartment. Isn't that crazy? $25 an hour you have to make on average in order to afford a one-bedroom apartment here in this county. Two billion people live on less than one of these a day. Two billion people live on less than a dollar a day. In contrast, Albert Pujols of the Angels makes 37,000 of these every time he steps up to bat. (laughs) Teach your kids how to hit a curveball. (laughs) That's the motivation. Uh, The average $1 bill uh, weighs about one gram, which is less than an ounce. But what does it weigh in our hearts and in our wallets? There is more worry, more fear, more temptation, and yet also more opportunities than really anything else when it comes to this. And so what's God's view of money? What's God's heart for money? Look at Luke chapter 12. Go about halfway down into the chapter, beginning in verse 13. And it says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even one has an abundance of life. Does his life consist of his possessions? And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man was productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods." And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. verse 20 says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you've prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life, ...as to what you'll eat, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters?" Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you'll eat or what you'll drink, and do not keep worrying For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek first His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes, Near and no moth destroys, and verse thirty four closes for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that good stuff? This should be our morning devotion every day. <laughs> the scriptures say in a different point The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So though a dollar bill only lasts for five and a half years, God's word is eternal, amen. And so this has application to our lives here today. And so the first thing I want you to see, and you can follow in your notes if it's helpful, is that our use of money, your use of money, is a window into your heart. This landowner, his heart was revealed by what he was investing in. When a doctor wants to look into the condition of someone's heart, they they run several types of different tests. One is you can have a blood test. Or you can move to a stress test. Or you can have those little sticky things put on you and have an EKG. Or if a doctor is really serious about understanding the condition of your heart, they can do an angiogram on you, which I know some of you have had the wonderful opportunity to have. That's the way a doctor sees into your heart. When it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to our connection with God. One of the ways we can even examine our heart is not through an EKG, but through the use of our money. If we were to pull out our credit card or our bank statement for the month of July and for halfway through this month of August, what would it tell us about our heart condition, our connection to God? How do we spend our money? What do we invest in? What are we actively, generously giving to? Is our heart focused and fixated on temporary things or on things that last, things that are eternal? In Luke 12, 18, the landowner says, this is what I'll do. I'll I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones and there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. In Orange County, we have a little bit of a romanticized version of a barn. I mean, admit it, how many of us have ever said, like, wouldn't it be cool just to sell what we have here and move to the country and live on a ranch and drive a tractor and drink sweet tea next to our big red barn. I mean, how many of you are like, that sounds nice. But the reality, if you've ever been in a barn, is that most smell like hay and animal poop. There's spider webs and birds' nests in the rafters of many barns. They require constant maintenance in most places where you can afford to have a barn because of the extreme weather in the wintertime. Barns are not built to last forever. And so Jesus, as he tells the story, is saying, why would you make it your life purpose to put a bunch of stuff in a barn when none of that can last? Jesus says here in Luke twelve twenty, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you've prepared? And then look again at verse 21. So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. I mean, Jesus doesn't pull any punches here, does he? The use of money is a window into our hearts, and it's foolish to use, to invest, to store our money into things that don't last. I mean, imagine this. Say after we leave here today, I'll make believe that I have a picture of this. Say that you leave uh, this auditorium. You get in your car and you drive up to Sacramento. And you're about halfway up to Sacramento and you land in Fresno. and You're like, you know what? It's really hot. I think I'm just going to get out and, and stay in a Best Western tonight. And so you're in a Best Western in Fresno. Just for the night because you're going to, oh, there it is, you're going to go uh, to Sacramento after that. You get into this Best Western about eight o'clock tonight. You watch a little TV and then you fall asleep. Say you're there with your spouse or your friend. You go into a deep sleep, and then about 3 a.m., you hear a, hey, hey, are you awake? Are you awake? You're like, well, I am now. <laughs> uh, what do you want? And your friend or your spouse says, hey, this mattress is like, it's driving me crazy. And this bedspread is just like, uh, like okay, well, let's get out of here. Let's go to the 24-hour Walmart, and let's go buy a new mattress and a new bedspread for this place. And you look at them, and you say, no. <laughs> We're only going to be here for a few more hours. Why would we invest in getting a new mattress or or, or a bedspread for this? And then they look at you and they're like, no, you're right. We also need new carpet. This carpet has got to go. Let's go get some carpet samples as as we head out there. I mean, what would you say to that? You would just be like, you're crazy. Like, why would you invest in this? We're just here for such a short time. And this is Jesus' point here in Luke 12. Now, please understand, I don't think Jesus is saying just isolate, hibernate yourself here on this world and this earth uh, because time is quick and you're just waiting for heaven. No, Jesus is clear as he teaches in the Gospels that we are to be salt and light. We're called on mission to tell people the glorious good news of Jesus. So we're not called just to hibernate and hide out. And yet, we're called to have the mindset that this is a temporary place. And so why would we invest in something that's temporary when we have the opportunity to put our money into places that are eternal? That's what Jesus is getting at right here. Next time you drive by a Best Western, think about that. Turn from Luke 12 to Luke 18. A couple chapters over. And go again to the middle of the chapter to verse 18 of chapter 18. And this is what it says, another story that Jesus tells. This is a real life interaction between him and a young guy. In Luke 18:18 18, 18, it says a ruler questioned him saying, "Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone." You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Verse 22 says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then who heard it said, Then who can be saved? Verse 27 said, But he said, These things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Just a side note on this, aren't you thankful that things that are impossible for us are possible for God? We serve a big God. Just know that. But you look at this guy's life, and this is a sad account. There's this man who, by all outward appearances, is doing pretty well. He has wealth in his back pocket, and he seems to be pretty religious, he follows the Ten Commandments. He's obeyed them. He's comfortable in front of Jesus saying, I've obeyed all these, which was a lie. But he at least felt good enough on the outside to, to say it in front of others and in front of Jesus. And Jesus, knowing his heart like no one else could, looks right at him and says, well, there's, there's a master that you're serving that, that isn't me. The master you serve is your money. And you can't serve, as Jesus says in another place, you can't serve both God and money. And so he gets right to the heart of this guy. And he says, okay, it's time to change your membership of who you follow, of who your master is. Make me your master. Come follow me. And I love that sentence, come follow me. It's the same sentence structurally that Jesus says to the early disciples, right? When he calls guys like Peter and Andrew, he says, Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of, of men. So here he gives this same call to this rich young guy. He says, Come, follow me. And one of the saddest verses in the Bible is verse 23. It says, The ruler, when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. This guy walks away from Jesus because his master was his money. There was a, a 19th century artist from Germany named Heinrich Hoffmann who drew this great painting here that now hangs in a church in Manhattan, New York. And I like it because I think it communicates the emotions of this interaction between Jesus and this rich young guy. The rich young ruler is stubborn, he's defiant, and he tragically is turning away from Jesus in this photo. Imagine what this guy gave up. I said one of the disclaimers is we want to be a church that wants something for you when it comes to money, not just something from you. Imagine what was for this guy if he followed Jesus. And right after Luke 18, you read about how Jesus goes and he has the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This rich young ruler could have joined Jesus in watching that happen. This rich young ruler perhaps could have been involved with the disciples and being in the upper room. As Jesus gives his final instructions and words of encouragement before the cross, this guy could have been there if he would have followed Jesus rather than his money. Or picture after the resurrection, if he's one of the disciples following Jesus, he could have seen the risen Savior for himself if he would have chosen Jesus. And even beyond that, as Acts 1 says, as the Spirit comes on the disciples and sends them out to the ends of the earth a call and a challenge that we still experience here today. And we still feel the benefits of the day of those early disciples. That guy could have been part of it. And yet he missed out. He went back to his rich house and missed out on what God wanted to give him. God had so much more for him than what this guy understood. And so this is a tragic story. There's the famous quote from Jim Elliott who was a missionary in Ecuador. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If our battle is between money and God, there's an obvious choice. Only one is eternal. So we can't serve both. We need to choose to serve our God. And then look from... Luke 18, and now go over to Luke 19, verse 1. One more story I want to show you. This is a famous story in Sunday school classes. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Read it with me, beginning in Luke 19, verse 1. It says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. And in verse 10, this is so good for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. This is another great story in the scriptures. Often we focus on the particularization to use Matt Davis's word uh, of Zacchaeus is that here's this little guy, he's stuck up on a tree. Jesus just passing through the city, he's not planning to stop, but then he sees Zacchaeus and then he stops and we focus on that aspect of the story. But one thing I want us to see this morning is this is that look at how Zacchaeus responds to the generosity of Jesus. Look again verse 8. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. The first century law under Jewish culture said that if you took money from someone unjustly and it was found out, you were ordered to repay in full and give 20% restitution fee to that. Here is Zacchaeus giving 400% restri- restitution fee for what he had taken unjustly from his fellow brothers and sisters. He is moved to generosity, not because he's a really nice guy and he had some positive thinking in his life, no, because he sees Jesus and he sees Jesus' generosity towards him, a sinner. Remember, the people were grumbling. Look at this sinner. And yet Jesus chooses him. And so out of that, he responds with generosity. And if you look throughout the scriptures, you see that the God that we have the privilege to worship, to read about here today, is a God of generosity. I mean, look at some of these scriptures. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Romans 8, we read it earlier this summer. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? 1 Timothy 6 reminds us that life is from God. When he says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Or 2 Corinthians 9, backing up. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. This is our God, a God of generosity, a God who calls us to respond. To who He is by being generous with our money, generous with our time, resources, the gifts and abilities that God's given us. There's a couple of ways I want us to even respond to this personally here today. One is if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, let today be the day that you place your faith in Jesus. He came to seek. And to save the lost. Anyone apart from Jesus Christ is lost. And that involved all of us. We were all lost in our sin. And yet Jesus came into this world and he lived the life that none of us could live. The life the rich young ruler claimed to live. Jesus actually lived. He was perfect. He had no sin. And he went to the cross to take on not his penalty for sin, but our penalty for sin. And Jesus, on the third day of the scripture, said, rose again. And that meant he defeated death and he conquered sin. And whoever believes and places their faith in Jesus will be saved, will be washed clean, just like Zacchaeus was. And so my call to you is if you don't know if you're a Christian, if you don't know if you're saved once and for all from your sins, washed clean, have hope of eternity, let today be the day. There's even a little booklet in the seat in front of you that you can look through to learn more. Another response is to be generous and to remind ourselves that God is generous. I think we need other Christians. We need other people that will say, hey, let me give you perspective on what you're worrying about right now. Let me give you a story of how God's been faithful to me as I've stepped out in faith and and generosity over my life. And so even today, we have the Life Group Fair, as Laura mentioned. I encourage you to go check that out. We have classes here at Calvary, too, throughout this fall. And the goal of these classes is to help you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. If there's 2,000 scriptures about money, then it's a big deal to God as it reveals our heart. And so these classes can help with that. One of them, uh, you can see in the back side of your or sermon notes, or there's several listed this fall. And then thinking through a generosity commitment. Again, this is not something I'm asking you to do right in this moment and to turn in. But look at your backside, you're digging deeper of your sermon notes, or pull them out if you don't have them. This is something for you not to fill out today necessarily, but just to think through. You can see here it says, each fall we're always asked by friends, what do you want for Christmas? And we typically give them a wish list. What if this fall you made a reverse wish list? And you began writing down some prayers and thoughts of how you could be generous. When it came to your treasure, even the, here's the amount of money I'm praying I can give away from now until the end of the year. Or here's three specific items in my house right now that I want to give away this fall to someone that needs it. Or here's the amount of hours I'd love to serve others with this fall. Or here's a talent or ability. Here's a specific person that I could bless and be generous with this talent and ability with. I encourage you to stick this in your pocket or your Bible and just prayerfully walk through this this week. God, I want to respond to you and your generosity with my own generosity. God, show me what that looks like in my life. Maybe you saw the email this week that we sent out here from Calvary and talking about the idea of the ice bucket challenge. Anybody taken... Ice Bucket Challenge this week, or this month? It's raised $42 million since Thursday. Or, I mean, up to last Thursday. It's probably more than the last three days. But one thing that I pointed us to was the idea of the Rice Bucket Challenge. It's the story of these Christians in India who make less than a dollar a day. And they've creatively figured out a way to be generous with the little that they have. And that is so encouraging to me. You're going to see their story in a minute. Because if you're like me, you start thinking, okay, God, you're generous. I want to respond back in generosity. But you start thinking, I'm, I'm stretched. I have been generous with my money and my time and my talents. And I don't know what else to give. And yet you see this story and you go, oh, maybe it's not thinking big Maybe it's just thinking of what God's already given me. And so check it out, watch this.
1: Every day, simple women in the state of Mizoram in Northeast India are spearheading a revolution that is sweeping the world of missions. Their movement, Bufay Thang or a handful of rice. Mu Tham is a practice where each Mizo family puts aside a handful of rice every time they cook a meal and later gather it and offer it to the church. The church in turn sells the rice and generates income to support its work. Rice has been the staple food of the people of Mizoram, the main life of the people. You are giving what is basic, essential, fundamental to your life. You are sharing that with God. The handful of rice ministry started in Mizoram in 1910. That time, many people did not know the gospel. So the church thought that we need Bible women to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible women, they are locally supported women for evangelism. The practice of Bu Fai is meant for supporting those Bible women. Fai a so today of 900,000 measles are Christians. A strong and vibrant church has emerged. People started to give more and in creative ways. Rice, vegetables, firewood and other produce and also cash besides their regular tithes to the church. The churches in Mizoram are now self-sufficient. We don't receive any outside funding. All the money we have we receive is raised within ourselves. At the close of this last physical year, we receive altogether around thirteen million US dollars. Out of that, 12% of our total income is from the handful of rice collection. Today, the Mizoram Church is known as a missionary church world over. This success is attributed to their selfless and creative giving.
0: amazing Uh, just inspired by that video this week on behalf of Calvary we're going to give 200 pounds of rice to the Orange County Rescue Mission for some of the things that they're doing here in our community Uh, but I encourage us what has God already given us and how will he use that not for just temporary things that get stuffed into barns but for things that are eternal pray with me Father thank you for your generosity towards us And that while we were lost, you came and you sought us out and you saved us. We are forever grateful for that, God. And as we respond to this, may you continue to make us people that are generous. Not for our name, not for this church's name, but for the name of Jesus Christ. So move us, challenge us, speak to us in this. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.